All right, Brian, welcome to Compassion Before Commission, where we're on a mission to cure commission breath with Compassion Before Commission. Welcome to the show, man. What's up? Man, I'm happy to be here. I, you know, you and I had our quick little conversation. We jammed immediately, and I know we're super aligned, so this is going to be a fun discussion today. Yeah, absolutely. Just as a way of getting started, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I'm going to expedite this just because I know your show format's a little shorter, but uh, I'm going to give you the high level. I want everybody to just close their eyes for one second. And I, trust me, I'm going to take you where we're going to go. Unless you're driving, I'll tell you when to open your eyes. I want you to imagine walking out of a store after a successful shopping trip, turning your head and seeing a truck barreling 40 miles an hour right at you with no time to react. That's where this portion of my story begins. We went, went to a store, one inch paintbrush. I get to the car first, waiting for my mom to unlock the doors. Truck pulls up in front of the store, driver and middle passenger get out. Passenger all the way to the right feels the truck moving backwards. So we did what any one of us would do, Jake. And he moves over to put his foot on the brake, but instead he hit the gas. Before you know it, he's catapulting across the parking lot, 40 miles an hour, right at me with no time to react. Go ahead and open your eyes. Mm. It went, hit our car, knocked me over, ran over me diagonally, tore my spleen, left a tire track scar on my stomach and continued on to completely sever my left arm from my body. Wow. Fortunately, my guardian angel saw the whole thing happen. She saw the literal life and limb scenario, rushed in, stopped the bleeding and had my arm on ice within minutes. Otherwise, I either wouldn't be here with you today, Jake, or I'd be here with a cleaned up stump. I tell you that, and I know that you and many others probably weren't expecting me to go there today, but there's two lessons that I took from that. Many, as I'm sure you can imagine, but two that have been guiding principles in my life. And it aligns with partially what we're talking about here, right? Um, one, I learned not to get stuck by what had happened to me, but instead get moved by what I could do with it. And two, I learned to embrace pain to avoid suffering. And through that, people also gain freedom. It's that concept I used to not only overcome this unique injury, but how my business partners and I built our last business from a quarter million to over 15 million in revenue within the span of a decade. And how I flipped that on its head as a human behavior and performance coach to help individuals and organizations just like you, just like our listeners, become more aware, more intentional, and more of who they already are. Because when we align with that, that's when the door begins to crack to perspective, motivation, and direction. And that's when we can have joy, freedom, and fulfillment. We start focusing on the human element, human connection, and everything we do, brother. Man, I love your intensity, man, as you share your story. You're so passionate about it. Like, tell me a little bit more about, you said embracing pain to avoid suffering. Yeah. So I'll just give you a couple examples, right? So we can embrace the pain of hitting the gym for 30 minutes a day to avoid suffering of aches and pains of a sedentary lifestyle. We can embrace the pain of a difficult conversation with a spouse or loved one, right? To avoid the suffering of a loveless marriage that might end up in divorce or being trapped in marriage when we actually want a divorce. We can embrace the pain of firing our top salesperson, right? To avoid the suffering of losing all our other top talent and having stagnant growth because they were the biggest cancer in our culture. Right. So when you think about this, it applies holistically in our lives. And it's this idea of helping understand the difference between short term pains and long term suffering and that we all have the ability to choose in every single moment. But when we embrace the pains incrementally along the way, we truly can avoid suffering. And that's where we gain freedom. Nice. Yeah, it's like uh, finding the cure for commission, Brett, so you can avoid having it. it spread that halitosis everywhere. That's exact. Yeah. Embracing the pain of not selling to avoid the suffering of being coming across like a slime ball or somebody who's not actually going to deliver value. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What are some characteristics and traits of a, of a true sales professional that you found to be helpful over the years? I think the true, the, the best of the best, uh, I wouldn't even call sales professionals, right. That might be their title, but I think the best of the best don't ever sell. I think the best of the best focus on understanding like what's going on on the person in the person's world across the table from them, really understanding to understand what problems exist, what they're actually dealing with, focusing on the person, right? Whether it's business related or not, but to really figure out what gaps exist in their world. And then they deliver to 
then they deliver value, right? Which might be a solution they sell, it might not be, but they deliver value, whether it be time, energy, resources, or connections to help that individual from a pure place of high intent and not worrying about personal gain. And when they focus on this regularly and consistently, guess what? They end up growing their revenue. People end up buying their solutions and services. They want to do business with them. And so the people who sell can be very, very successful, but the best of the best who really drive top line revenue and growth typically don't focus on sales. They focus on adding value and focusing on relationships. Absolutely. Yeah. And you seem like somebody, if you were to call me up, say a, a cold call or just any kind of call, you would focus on having fun. So tell me, What's the most fun that you ever had on a sales call? Oh, man. Uh, that's a great question. You know, I, I have always loved in sales to not go solo. And so I think the most fun moments have often been when I've gone and tag teamed in a joint venture type approach with someone else. You just have yeah. fun prepping for it. You have fun in the meeting and you have fun on the, on the debrief afterwards. Um, I'll tell you that there was one specific situation uh, that, that I had a lot of fun doing it, 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 it gave me a lot of heartache when I did it, but it was fun afterwards. And I ended up, I only ever ended up doing it a couple of times, but you know, as salespeople, we condition our buyers. We condition our buyers to expect that we're going to come in regardless of what industry and to ask X number of questions, ask for X number of data so that we can, you know, position our sales. And how often do, you know, you sit across the table from a CFO and they're like, so tell me why I should do business with you and your company. Why are you the best? How are you going to help us? And that's the first thing they say to you, Right. And so many people, I did it myself early in my career, try to answer the question and end up vomiting all over the table with no relevance, no credibility. So in this one situation, this guy asked me that. He was a CFO. It was literally the first question. He's like, so why should I be doing business with you? And I said, I don't know. And I slid a blank piece of paper across the table to him. And I said, I'm here today to discover that. I'm here to, to learn about you, to determine if and how I can help and to really be able to understand the roadmap for where I can help, which I have no relevance or credibility to be able to answer that question today. You're gonna to expect my biases, you're gonna expect that I'm a salesperson, but if you agree to the approach that I'm taking, we can mutually fill this piece of paper out together and at the end of the hour, I can tell you whether or not I can help you or if I can't. And I don't know the answer to that right now. I said, yeah. alternatively, if you don't wanna play that game, I can get up and leave because it doesn't mean that we're gonna have a good partnership. So I had a lot of fun because he actually turned into it. We filled out that whole piece of paper, we ended up writing the deal. Um, nice. over the course of a couple of months, cause we built a relationship. So to me, the most fun is whenever I've worked with someone else, or I find a way to shatter the expectations of what the proposed buyer is going to be operating from. Nice. Yeah. That's a really good approach, man. I like that. <laughs> yeah. So you actually taking the time to get to know somebody before, you know, you know, just the only way doing a proper discovery call. Yeah. That's the only way. I mean, if you just jump to pitching, with no understanding of where it's going to go, it's a slap and stick method, right? That's not how I, I that's, a, that's literally the shotgun approach. Like I'm just going to pitch and see if this aligns for this person. Right. Uh, to me, that's, that's wasting time, energy, money, and resources. Alternatively, if you do the work up front, you ask the right questions, you really qualify the deal, the person, are they a good fit for what I can offer? You're not ever selling because you already know the answer in the roadmap and you offer a, a solution that aligns exactly with what their problem is after you've put in the legwork, guess what? You've just teed that up to the point where you don't ever have to convince them. They're ready to buy before you've even told them what you're going to be selling. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you seem like somebody that's really big into mental toughness, somebody that really <laughs> believes in having a, the right mindset. Can you tell me a little bit about how you became over the years mentally tough? 
Yeah. So I, I, you know, I was kind of forced into it pretty quickly. I think I've always been that way, but you know, when you've got an accident like this right out of the gate and all of a sudden everybody's assuming what you can and can't do, you build up a crusty exterior to tell the world, you know, I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. I didn't want to be the victim. I didn't want to be defined by other people's boundaries or the limitations they placed on me because of their inability to see what I was capable of through their own lens. Right. And so very early, it was all about mental toughness. And I created this intellectual narrative. So to your point on mental toughness, I'm a firm believer that it's critical, but I learned later in life that it's only part of the equation. Right. So I'll unpack that in a second. But you know, really what I did is I just, I approached it like, look, I'm not gonna be defined by this. So I, no matter what my struggles were, no matter what my physical challenges or limitations were, if I wanted to do something, I was gonna figure out a way to do it, right? It didn't matter how many times I failed. It didn't matter how many times I got knocked down. And it didn't matter how many times somebody else told me I couldn't do it. That actually just was fuel on my fire. Right. But I built this intellectual narrative, right? That I'm good, I'm strong, I'm capable, and I don't need anybody's help. And that served me very well for a long time until it didn't. I rebroke my arm when I was 20 in a snowboarding accident, compound fracture, almost lost my arm again, and it was hanging by my side for 10 months. Okay. Mm -hmm. What I realized in that moment is the power of our narratives. I was mentally tough. It did help me persevere. It did help me overcome, but it also prevented me from having the level of human connection that I desired at a deep level. So now all of a sudden, when I'm going through this alone, I realized the world had bought into my narrative. The world literally was like, oh, Brian's tough. He's strong. He's capable. He doesn't need our help. It wasn't that I didn't have good friends that wanted to help me. It's they just genuinely believed right. I didn't need it. So now I'm alone. I'm vulnerable. And I didn't have the courage to ask for help. Okay. Yeah. So mental toughness led me to this idea of human connection is critical. I started focusing on vulnerability and authenticity and bringing that into everything I did, which made my sales, if you will, more effective, because that's what allowed me to focus on the human element and the human connection. Fast forward a little bit further, it served me very well. This is, you know, the business we talked about earlier that, that we scaled was in that period of time. And I had some more health stuff that hit me, knocked me down. I won't go into the details on that right now, but the reality of it is that what it did was it allowed me to realize that I wasn't ever actually feeling or expressing emotion at the level that I was capable of. You see, when I shut off physical pain, I also shut off emotional pain. I went all intellectual. It was all mental toughness. And what I realized is, right, mental toughness and human connection without emotion doesn't really serve the end game, right? You had to bring emotion back into it. So now I believe it's a combination of mental toughness and the mind-body connection, mindset and heart set, and understanding and which narrative we need to trust in the moment and how to regulate between the two. So now I think we need to think about our thinking think about our feelings, feel our feelings and feel our thinking. And when we do that, that's when we connect holistically with the people to a place where we can actually move and grow collectively. But that's also where value delivers itself. You don't have to sell. Right. I love it because I believe whether we're successful or we're not successful is 100% directly connected to a few things, three things, our mindset and our heart and the words we speak for out of our heart, 100%. our mouth speaks. So if you don't have the right, if, the, if your heart's not in the right place, figure out what's causing that, right? Like think about different things. Is, is there fear, shortages, blockages? What's 100%. keeping you from being, being 100%, right? Like how can we become 100% confident, convicted and clear and get to the right path of where we need to be? So if somebody's having some challenges with, with confidence, conviction, clarity, how might you, you know, kind of coach them and guide them to, to become clear, convicted, and confident? Yeah, so I think a lot of those things are really a byproduct of the fact that so many people start out, me included, right, with the what. What house, what job, what amount of money, what car, what wife, what, like it's literally all these what's. 
and we end up losing the who through the process, right? So when you're not clear, you're not convicted, you have a hard time demonstrating confidence. It also means that you're probably not demonstrating yourself as authentically who you are. You're probably trying to fit a role. You're trying to play a sales position. You're trying to go down a script. You're trying to pattern what someone else has done. And no wonder it's uncomfortable for you. No wonder you can't be clear, convicted, or confident because you're not actually acting on behalf of yourself. I get back to the root and the core of a lot of the coaching we do starts with this. People think it's the wrong strategy or tactics that are limiting where they're at in life or the growth of their business or what have you, right? The reality of it is it's because they aren't clear on who they are. Yeah. So we start with the who. When we realign with the who, we get really, really clear on who we are, the things we want to accomplish and how we want to show up in the world, treat people, the legacy we want to leave, what people are going to say about us when we walk out of the room and a whole variety of other concepts that we unpack, right? The what becomes a manifestation of the who. And then when you show up in that room, you don't have to play a role, you're playing yourself. And all of a sudden you have more clarity, more conviction, and more confidence to really be able to go in and build a relationship that's going to be meaningful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that uh, I know... Uh, you know, saying I think and, and I know, you know, like having that confidence to know the difference between the two of like, I think is not a confident statement saying I know is a confident yeah. statement. And, and you're being mentally subconsciously aware of these things that the words that you speak attract certain things in your life. And Couldn't agree more. yeah, so, so what are some things that that you've seen over the years, you know, as far as how important your words were? Yeah, so I'll, I'll use one example for myself, but I think this is true for leaders and salespeople as well. Um, you know, I told you I didn't really understand or feel emotion until my 30s, right? Like I just wasn't in a position to really be able to understand it. This is a perfect example though. Almost always, whether it was friends, uh, business associates, prospects, clients, you name it, my narrative was always like, well, what do you think about that? Yeah. It was all intellectual. Once I started to unpack emotions, understand the role that it played in my life and that it was limiting human connection and my mental toughness and other pieces, I started changing the question to, how do you feel about that? How do you feel? It's about a that? materially different question. And yeah. it forces people to get in their bodies and yeah. people buy typically off desire and emotion and, and connection and trust. They don't typically make intellectual buying decisions, right? They sometimes do. We know there's different buyers out there. But the reality of it is most times that the sustainable buyers are the ones that buy typically because they feel it. It's an emotion. And so in my coaching work, or even when I'm going out and I'm in a sales type environment, just that slight shift in language changes the answer materially. Yeah. Um, so I have 50 other examples, but that's, I think, a really strong one for the purposes of, right, compassion over commission. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, definitely people base their buying decision on emotions, but justify it with logic. Correct. Yeah, because that's I reverse engineered that I'd always go in through logic and then hope yeah. they felt it. But it's all in the questions that you ask, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a really good um, close question to ask, you know, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? Because what happens is you're connecting them with their their human emotions with their commitment. They're, when that's whatever right. they verbally speak, whatever they say, when you ask that shows exactly where their commitment lies. 100%. Totally agree with you. Yeah. So with, with everything going on in the world, what are, what are some things that maybe you've had to pivot towards and some of the things that you've had to, that you've had to do, you know, over in 2020 and what are you looking forward to in 2021? Yeah. Um, well, so as a speaker and a coach, I obviously had a pretty hard pivot in the virtual world. I was, I was used to the traditional live stages and that was really 
whenever we'd get on stage, we'd convert coaching. Whenever we had coaching, it would generate speaking opportunities, but I had a number of speaking opportunities just evaporate overnight, right? Um, in March. And so I, to my own detriment, kind of devalued the virtual stages and that included podcasts, frankly. Uh, and so that was one of the big pivots I made. I didn't have the technology and the setup and the background and the lighting and the camera and the sound and all that stuff. So that was one of the first things I did when I started shifting around it was life is a, one about showing up and two, how you show up. So I felt like in the virtual world, I needed to show up in a way that was consistent with the standards I set for myself, with the quality that I set for the way that I do everything. And so my technology is a direct reflection of how I'm going to show up. So I invested significantly in this, and this is probably version eight of iterations I, I built and, and grew it. But, and I've also played and tested with some different things. So I started with the camera and the sound and the lighting was, was next. And, and then I've played with the virtual studio. And the reason I'm unpacking this is because it's a perfect example of, I needed to understand how to close the gap on that human element side when we're operating in a technological world. So where it is now, my background is six to seven feet behind me. You are six to seven feet in front of me on a rolling cart with a 50 inch television. Nice. And the reason I did that is because I read people, right? I read micro expressions. I read facial expressions. I read body language. I read the vocal connotations and delivery and they all connect. I also read through people's eyes and what I can see and what they're really telling me versus what their words are. I had a 27 inch iMac that I was sitting on just a few feet away and it didn't convert the same way. Right. But Jake, you're sitting six feet in front of me and your life size, it looks like we're sitting across the table from each other and I don't miss as much. So one, it's about how do people receive me? And then two, how do I receive them so that we can feel as connected as possible? And there can be an energy transfer like we would experience in real time in a virtual setting. And so that's what I focused on early. And then I jumped into the podcast game. I don't say this to impress. I say it to impress on the point. It, it created its own gravity. I started with 10 to 12 shows. And I think at, at, at the current moment, I've recorded 130 in the last six months on other people's platforms. Mm -hmm. um, and I have another 50 booked out for the next couple of months. And again, I don't say that to impress. I say it to impress on the point. What it's done is it's made the world a lot smaller. It allowed me to see this reach because we're on a mission to impact a billion lives in the next 25 years. It allowed me to see that the technological world, the podcast platform, the virtual setting has really shortened the path to getting to anybody that you want to on the planet. I've had more of the most fascinating conversations with some of the most talented people I've ever met in the last six months than in any other combined period in my life. And I've now entered into two different business entities, one that's based on the East Coast, one that's based in the UK, and I'm collaborating on another one in a different country, all because of the virtual world and how we could show up. Had it not been for this, none of those things would have happened. So for me, I, I was forced into a pivot that has now actually become a blessing. And oh, by the way, all the equipment that I told you about that I bought paid for itself with one talk because I literally went in and I was at a finalist meeting with someone else and they made a decision to hire me, not the other person, because the technology was better. And they said, our audience is going to be able to feel and interact with you at a higher level than the other speaker. Paid for yes. itself in one talk. Nice. Yeah. And here's the thing about it, though. What I love, Brian, the most is that you didn't have all this when you started. You you grew it from, yeah. from nothing to something. Yep. Yeah. And so you're very mission driven. So tell us, what is your mission? What You said you want to impact a billion people yeah. in 25 years. So tell me about that mission. What kind of impact? What, what's the mission? 
Yeah, so what I mean by that is impacting a billion lives means helping reduce the level of suffering that exists in the world. If we look across the world, there's suffering everywhere we go. It's in our backyards, right? People, even highly successful people who are miserable, right? Who are struggling from anxiety, stress, depression, mental health issues, you name it. There's different levels of poverty and people on the streets who don't have food, who don't have this, right, in our backyards. But you look across the globe and there's just a massive amount of suffering. There's a lot of hate. There's a lot of separation. There's a lot of polarization that's all taking place. If we can reduce the level of suffering that people are experiencing, right, that opens up the door and the possibility for them to experience joy, freedom, and fulfillment. And it also allows us to focus back on the, one of the things that we're hardwired for, which is human connection, so that we can build a world where we can actually come together. That doesn't mean we all have to agree, right, at all. In fact, I don't want people to be lemmings. I want people to be authentically who they are and allow the world to appreciate them for exactly who they are versus trying to funnel all of us into a box that the world can accept. If we all can be unbridled, free, joy, freedom, and fulfillment exist in our life on a daily basis, this world would be a lot better place. And so that's what that mission is about. Um, and I, I'm very, very aware that 99.9999999% of those billion lives will never pay us a dollar. And I'm very okay with that because I believe genuinely that when we chase mission, when we chase purpose, and when we align it with relationships, value, and impact, monetization is never a problem, right? No, exactly. If we put people and purpose first, profit and product will follow. That's just how it works, right? No. If we focus on profit and product first, we lose sight of everything else. And so I'm trying to change the conversation that's taking place on the planet right now, because I think what we all desire is an element of freedom, joy, fulfillment, human connection, and we don't want to suffer. That's right. And that's what compassion before commission is. Everything that you just said right there yep. just sums that up. It's not that the money's not going to come. It is. It's just going to be the byproduct of enjoying the journey, the compassion, enjoying helping people, making an impact and, and the income and all that's going to come. But it's just, it's okay to have a give and have an ask too. Just like the company that you said pretty much paid for all of your equipment you had a give, but you had an ask too. So it's okay right. to like, and I, and I hate hearing people say, cause it's, it's not the right mindset. Uh, I'm going to give without asking anything in return. It's okay to have a give and have an ask too. follow me on the yeah. internet, follow me here or there, you know, after you give a speech or after you talk. So yeah, compassion. I completely agree with that. Cause if you can't receive, you can't give at the level that you need to. Yeah. You know, I've always had this philosophy to give until it hurts, right? I've got an if and how philosophy, if and how I can help. And I've, I, I used to be in that bucket where it's like, I always gave without asking. Um, you know, a good friend of mine, David Meltzer, kind of knocked me upside the head even six months ago. And he's like, Bogart, like to, to impact a billion lives, you've got to open yourself to receive a hell of a lot bigger and a lot more than you even currently are. Right. And so, you know, and that's, and that's what also allows me to give it a bigger level. So, you know, truthfully, I suffer from that myself. Um, but reality of it is, is I continue to be able to mold uh, evolve and change so that I can give it the level that I need to. I have to be able to receive and ask on the back end. Yep. Yep. You know, uh, I love David Meltzer too. I am consistent and persistent in the pursuit yep. of my potential. That's yep. my dude right there. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Well, Brian, I know we're coming up on our time. Where can people find you, brother? Yeah. So go to brianbogert.com. It's got all my social handles. I'm at Bogert Brian pretty much everywhere. It also has a lot of the free content we talked about. And on the, on the lens of giving something, right? Um, I told you most people won't pay us. Go to nolimitsprelude.com and we got a free download there for you that is a combination of a lot of us, a succinct bite-sized version of a lot of our coaching philosophies. 
help people really calibrate with who they are, how to show up into the world so that they can bring all these things into their life that we talked about. Nice. Well, thanks for joining us today on Compassion for Commission, man. Jake, man, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for building the platform. All right, bro.